It's time for building the game. Building the game with Jason and friends. Tabletop game design. The the end of the episode that's when it technically ends hello and welcome to building the game a documentary podcast today is monday november 7th and you're listening to episode 545 as always i am your host jason here today joined by friend friend of the show uh returning guest roscoe shock hey roscoe hey jason how's it going it's going well we are recording a bit early so um it's uh yeah, I got to get used to this. This is the second time in a row I've recorded early because I recorded with uh, Bez and she's in, you know, the UK. So that means that I am up early to or recording earlier. Uh, so this is, uh, yeah, this is in the morning, both of us fitting in our schedule. It's exciting, though. Uh, how are you doing? Uh, I'm doing good. Uh, just working on a couple things, uh, starting to get prepped uh, for PAX Unplugged coming up here in a little over a month. And uh you know, get some pitches lined up and uh, get a couple games ready to, to kind of see if I can get any uh, any takers or interest in. So then obviously the holidays fills up pretty quick. So got to get ahead of that. Yeah, they do. Right. And PAX Unplugged, I, I you had asked me recently, like, hey, are you going to go to PAX Unplugged? And I said no. Um, and then another friend was like, hey, are you going to PAX Unplugged? And I was like, oh, gosh, no. And I, I so I went back and looked and it just doesn't I can't literally can't make it work because I was like, is there a way I can make this work? Uh, and there's not. I'm super bummed because I was like, you know, like everyone I know is going to be there. I've got games to pitch. I've got games to play test. Um, so I'm really, really bummed that I can't be there. Um, we'll have to have you you and anybody else that went afterwards come back and uh, let us know what it was like. Yeah, sure. Um, that's one of the ones I can't wait to check out. Um, hopefully next year I'll say again. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, it's a pretty good one, and and they've been pretty good about uh, mask and uh, vaccine yeah. policy and that kind of stuff. And um, the space is pretty cool. Uh, there's a huge unpug room, and uh, the the floor was smaller last year, but I, I'm hoping it'll be uh, a lot bigger and we'll have a lot more publishers there uh, on the show floor this year. So we'll see. I have to imagine, and I think that you know I know of several publishers that are keen on places that have good you know requirements for safety. So I think that, you know, seeing the, how, how much PAX lived up to that last year, that they're way more likely to feel safe this year going, you know. Um, I certainly, after going to Gen Con um, with so many people, PAX Unplugged, I was like, oh, yeah, that sounds awesome. Especially because I had heard from Nicole that they were super good about that kind of stuff uh, last year. So it's not a safety thing. I definitely would feel comfortable going. Plus... Uh, I don't know about you, but I got the new booster, so that was exciting about two weeks ago. So I'm feeling in my prime of uh, of protection. Yeah, I'm gonna try to get it next week. Uh, just been busy with with stuff coming off vacation, but uh, mm-hmm. I, I, this is the only one I don't have yet. But yeah, I'll get it for sure. Yeah, no, I I was able, I was lucky. I was able to get my flu shot and that one at the same time, so that was nice. And uh, yeah, and you still have plenty of time to get it and have it kick in before PAX, so. Yeah, for sure. And yeah. I know that the numbers are starting to come up a little bit again. So definitely yeah, I, I think I think every winter we're going to see a bit of that, right? Or as you fall in yep. winter and. Uh, yeah, 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 yeah. We've blown through a lot of COVID tests of late with stuff going around for kids, just like sniffles and stuff, you know, <laughs> like, like, oh, crap. Yeah, yeah. Nope, not COVID, something else. OK. <laughs> um, 
So yeah, yeah. Well, we um we have uh I think we should dive right into our topic here if that's okay. Uh sure. We've got an interesting topic that you've brought here that is unlike anything I think we've ever done. And so I'm, I'm really, that always excites me. Um, and you always have these well thought out topics that you've uh, made a lot of notes on and stuff. And that's always exciting to me. So, uh, so yeah, I, w- I would love to, uh, to, to have you talk about, uh, introduce the topic and kind of where it came from. Yeah, sure. So um, w- one thing that happens a lot, at least uh, to me is um, you go to these different uh, conventions or play testing events you know, like Proto ATL or Unpub or, you know, whatever, even at the, some of the playtesting rooms at bigger things like Origins or whatever. And invariably, um, you're standing around talking to other designers, like there's not really many playtesters there or like over uh, some drinks and dinner or whatever. And usually the conversation, um, you know, there'll be some new hot game that's popular or mm-hmm, super mm-hmm. Uh, uh, won an award or, or whatever. and um, you know, the conversation kind of breaks to, you know, like, well, why do you think it, it's done so well compared to, you know, X game, right? We know there's so many hundreds of games coming out every month. And so, like, why is this game doing well and these other ones? And sometimes it's marketing or whatever, or a famous designer like, you know, Stefan Feld could put out anything and it's going to be popular. But um, just thinking about it from the design side of like, well, you know, what is the the kind of key thing? And so this is something that I thought about a lot. And um I do a fair amount of driving uh, during the week. And so it's kind of been rattling around in my brain for a while. And so what I wanted to do was um, kind of create a starting point, um, like a little bit of a rubric kind of uh, approach of like mm-hmm. pick some categories and say like, okay, in this area, you know, how would this game kind of score or this or, or that game? And then just try to see uh, if there's a way to kind of think about the decisions you're making in your own designs um, to see if it really kind of nails one or more of, of, of those categories or kind of like things that get people really, really excited about it. And so um, we were talking about doing an episode and I was like, well, maybe we could do that. And so it was good for me as, a, as an exercise too to like write down stuff that had mostly just been in my head. Mm-hmm, <laughs> um, mm-hmm. So it's not just bouncing around all the time. So yeah, so that's kind of what we've done. Um, done here and so again this is this is a, a first draft and i'm sure it's not perfect it's meant to uh encourage discussion and, and thought and some introspection uh, more than anything else and so um yeah we can definitely uh, riff on it um so yeah i'll explain that in a second i don't know if you had any comments from that or yeah i so i um a lot of what you said there resonates a lot with me i um you know i think it's it is always been that thing of like asking yourself, like, what is it that makes one game like hit, right? And and what is it that makes one game like I don't know, like what helps you? Even sometimes I wonder, like, what helps the the I mean, because like you mentioned, like you know, if you know Stephen Feld put something out, right? You know, it's it's going to be popular, but like, and I'm not dogging on that specific designer, but that doesn't mean it's going to be good, right? Like, it doesn't mean it's going to be a great game. I mean, I've seen. I mean, you know, you look at somebody like Kenizia who's put out so many games and so many of them sold very well and some of them are really good and and some of them, I mean, are okay, right? That's that's my opinion, right? I mean, other people yeah. might think that some of the games I love of his aren't good and some of the games I don't like of his are great, right? <laughs> like, you just never know. Um, but, uh, but I do think that, like, it's something as a designer that I, I think about a lot as well. Like, what is it? 
like you know what is it that's going to make this game fun and, and replayable and what is it that's going to make this really hit with people uh and and connect with them so i i i would never like be able to sit down and make this detailed of thoughts on it like i would i would be like you i would just have it in my head thinking about um uh you know what i mean like thinking that through like i would just be letting it bounce around in my head not specifically um you know writing all this down so i i'm appreciative that you are uh are ready to do that yeah yeah no worries and and like i said this is just kind of a first version of this and uh, i'm sure and i hope actually that like uh other people will weigh in and we can get some feedback and and, and refine it a little bit and, and you know it's I'm sure there's going to be things that are missed here. I'm sure there's going to be uh, some people who w- would feel differently and that's cool. Uh, th- this isn't about being right. This is just about like an approach to think about uh, certain games and, and why they might do well or why they might win awards or, you know, a- any of those kind of things. Right. Cause you know, outside of like, you know, winning the spiel or something like that. I mean, I think uh, people who are designing games, like we want people to enjoy our, our ideas and, and see it kind of get played. And so, you know, even just like having it get published and, and having like people, you know, playing it and enjoying it. Like, you know, I think there's some things we can think about to mm-hmm. uh, make that more likely and, uh, you know, and, and just approach some of the decisions that way. Right. So like we have something to check, like, does it, does it do this thing or not? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And, um, and like you said, this is definitely a starting point, right? One of the things we actually talked about before recording was that, um, I'd love to, after this publishes, put a channel out in our Discord uh, describing, you know, where we're kind of at with this and asking people to go in and think about it and give thoughts on how to develop it and how to change it. Because I think this is a super good tool uh, for designers to, you know, to use um, when, you know, considering a game. So, yeah. So I think that that's a really good idea. Cool. Uh, So let's just jump in a little bit. and. I have uh, I've created seven uh, categories uh, to kind of score these games, and and when we get to some game specific, uh, we'll do an exercise to go through a couple of them. Mm-hmm. We're just kind of rating on like a one to ten scale. I mean, it doesn't matter. It's just like some way to basically say it does something uh, better or worse. Mm-hmm. Uh, so so one area that I think uh, some games uh, really succeed at, um, whether it's from award winning or or just general popularity or or a hotness. Um, is uh, the component in the product. And so yeah. what I have written here is um, this can be a couple of different things. We're trying to keep these fairly broad, right? Um, so the art, the photos, um, even some kinds of the icon and the UI layout and things like that. Sometimes you see a product and like, you know, table presence fits in this category, right? You're looking mm-hmm. at it and you're like, wow, that Absolutely. looks amazing. Yep. Um, also in this area, I would have like quality of components and materials, right? So mm-hmm. like, you know, uh, this isn't the one we're going to review, but like, you know, you think of the chunky tiles in Azul, for example, or yep, yep. Um, the the bird eggs in um, Wingspan or something like mm-hmm, that, right? Mm-hmm. So like, just like, they just feel great to hold and, and like, they really kind of pull things together. And then um, one last piece I had here is like, sometimes there's some like really unique components, right? That you just mm-hmm. have never seen before. And it's like, even just like the, the distinctness of the component is like right, right. really, really draws you to it. Right. So it's all of, kind of, I would say, ahead. I think of the, like the pyramid in camel up the dice dropping pyramid, like that is like, Whoa, that's weird. 
and unique and cool. Yeah, and like you know, the the discs, the interlocking discs, and Zulkin, you know, there's there's lots of examples of this. Um, so just really thinking about like table presence, quality of components, uniqueness, art, you know, all these kind of of things that really can really make a game uh, do do better than it might have done if it was just like, uh, you know, pencil sketches on on a sticker right, paper, right? Right. 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 So Which is still cool, first. but different. Yes. <laughs> right. 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 So that, that's the first one, components and product, uh, just as a general category. Uh, so the next one is uh, theme and integration. Uh, so we talk a little bit about theme. Sometimes people refer to it as setting. Um, you know, it's just a little bit of like how you're, what you're supposed to be doing in the game and like how well it kind of makes you feel like that, right? So we, we've all played games where it feels like this theme is made up and it doesn't feel like this at all. And, and other games where like, you really feel like you're you're kind of like making the same kind of uh, choices that other people uh, might make. So I was having a conversation with somebody about this recently. And so like, to me, when I think of a game like Agricola, now obviously Agricola, you're not actually farming, but like when your right, turn, right. you have to make a choice between growing sheep or planting vegetables. And like, mm -hmm. to me, that's an integration point because that's a decision that a real farmer has to make, right? Like you have yep. wood, yep. are you going to build a fence or are you going to, um, expand your house right so yep there's a theme there and like it could be other things but like there's some effort to kind of integrate it uh into what you're doing so it feels a little bit more like you're you know you're playing pretend obviously but like you're abstracted out but like do you feel like you're doing the thing at all or does the actions and, and stuff feel like this is just nonsense it doesn't make any sense so right and and obviously it's not like you would dock a game for not you know, for being an abstract in this point, right? I think some abstract games, the mechanics feel very in integrated into the components, into what you're trying to do um, without them having to be super thematic, right? I mean, am I wrong about that or? No, yeah. And so I, I should back up and just say like, so th these are seven categories and it should be clear that like no game is going to get a 10 out of 10 in all seven. Right, they're gonna. There's gonna be sliders essentially that you're gonna do better in, in some than others. Mm -hmm. But mm -hmm. I think I think the thing that we're trying to get to is all games that are popular or, or award winning or, or those kind of like whatever metric you want to use do some of these really well, right? So like we shouldn't expect them to do all of them really well, but we should expect there to be some where they just really nail it. So to your point, like yeah, some are not gonna do good on theme, and that's okay. It can still be a great game. It can still be popular and, and win awards or whatever but you can't do mm -hmm. poorly at all seven and uh right, and, right. and and get uh and get to that spot at least i don't think you can you have to do well at one of these i think at least that's the goal is to like yeah, have yeah, this yeah. river uh be that, that for that to be true i should say all right, right so the next right. one is um approachable and overhead so um approach i'm using the word approachable here um instead of uh a lot of times people will say accessibility Mm -hmm. um, and I saw mm -hmm. something on Twitter a couple of years ago um, that we should that accessibility has a meaning already, and we should uh, yeah. not use it for this. Um, and, and I actually like really agreed, and I, I kind of switched my mindset. So to give an example, of the difference between approachability and accessibility in my mind is uh, Jenga is a very approachable game, right? You just put a stick right. on top, but it's not a very accessible game. It, if you are in yep. a wheelchair, or if you have uh, dexterity issues, or you have vision issues, like it's uh, not accessible at all, right? right. Most dexterity right. games are not accessible. So uh, approachable um, 
I also just put overhead here. Uh, so low, low rules overhead, low kind of like uh, game overhead. You know, the game can feel familiar. Um, that's something you want to look for. It's easy to play for newer and younger players, um, especially if they've never even played this type of game before, right? Each game type has its own unique uh, rule sets and things like that. Um, Cards Against Humanity or Throw Throw Burrito and some of those are, are going to have pretty low uh, rules overhead. That doesn't make them um, one way or the other. But yeah, it's like, you know, Uno has pretty low overhead. Like you have to match a color or a number, right? So right, right. Um, that's the kind of stuff we're looking for. You know, it's it, you take some kind of big heavy euro. Obviously, it's not going to do well uh, in, in this area. And that's okay. Uh, that, that game's just not for, for each player. Um, but, you know, you want ones where... Um, people can kind of jump in and get started right away. You know, talking to certain um, non-gamers, like my friend who is a gamer has a wife and, and she kind of likes games, but she always wants to play the same game. And I, I think like having talked to him and her, like the reason is a lot of people just don't enjoy learning new rules. Like they don't want to mm -hmm. sit down for a half hour and learn right, the rules right. of a new game, even if it would be their favorite game afterwards, right? right so right. they just want to be able to like jump in, not have to like, memorize and internalize like all these new rules and so approachability is key right and we look at what we quote unquote call gateway games right and so like too often it's used as a pejorative and it should be more of like a welcoming standpoint like this is a great gateway to learn about worker placement games or a mm -hmm. great gateway to learn about you know 18xx games or whatever so this is a category right. going here it's like low rules overhead um it feels familiar to other things you may have played and like you just kind of jump in and, and get right into it so it's interesting that because i so i agree with everything you said about approachability and overhead on this um and i so two things i want to note one is that obviously approachable and low overhead is not necessary in games right um but in your massively successful games that people are you know like that sort of thing there is generally more approachability and less overhead. However, that's not always the case, right? I mean, you certainly have, you know, big 4X games that take a ton to learn that do very well and that people really love, but that's, you know, that's that's not what we're talking about here. Um, but the other thing I want to throw out there is accessibility. That is something I think, and not as a spoiler, but is something that is missing from this list. Simply because I was trying to, like, looking at the list, like, where could I throw accessibility in here? and it almost has to be its own thing. Like you can't really put it with, you can put it with components and product, but like, I feel like you end up looking at a game and saying, Oh, the components and product are really good about this. Like this would be a nine out of 10, but the accessibility sucks. So it's a four out of 10, right? Like it's almost like accessibility needs its own rating to say like, how accessible is it? Um, Anyways, that's just a thought. I, I, I totally agree with the idea that approachable and accessible are very different terms. Um, so, yeah, it does feel like that is something that would be useful in a situation like this to be able to say, what is the accessibility um, level of this? Because, so what I find interesting is a game being accessible, for instance, say colorblind friendly, very likely does not this is probably a bad, I'm going to say it, but people maybe disagree with me, but I don't believe that making a game colorblind accessible will inherently make the game more, more uh, sell more copies. I, I don't believe that. I don't think there's enough uh, of a population that's going to be concerned about that. 
that is going to not buy the game. However, I will back that up by saying every game 100% whenever possible. Uh, and I think since Hughes and Q's is colorblind friendly, which I cannot believe and don't understand, but Eric Slauson swears to me that it is as a colorblind person. Um, every game should be accessible and colorblind friendly. Um, but I don't know that that matters with the success of the game. Um, yeah. And part of that, I think, is because colorblind people for a very long time were used to games just not caring about that. And I think that it's a relatively new feature, um, newer in the last five or so years, that people are actually trying to be concerned about that. Um, I don't know if you have thoughts on that. Agree, disagree, whatever. Yeah, so uh, it's a good point. Um, and again, that might be a, a, a category that has to get added. I, I think maybe. Um, having like i you haven't said this before so this is just off the cuff um that maybe the something like accessibility um maybe that's something that's not the driver like of success like you're saying but maybe it's more of there's a minimum amount of that that you need that's independent mm-hmm. of the categories right so like that's in each point, of yeah. these cat in each of these categories there might be a, a minimum level of accessibility that you need in order for the thing to work right and so right. I, um, but I'll take that offline and think about it some more. I don't have a, a full answer there, but yeah, I, I think maybe it's like a little bit like people use the word table stakes. Like if you want to have a game sell at all, like you have to have a certain amount of, you know, right. 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 It has to look like it's like actually done in a professional way and accessible to, right, to right, people. Right. Um, and, so. And while accessibility is generally focused on people who need some sort of exceptions to make it, you know, easier to read easier to see with colors um you know more stabilized if they've got dexterity you know issues um realistically we all need some level of accessibility right i mean like if the print if the if the colors printed make your average person with with good eyesight struggle to read it um like you know how many times in life have you seen those signs that people have colored kids do this a lot like lemonade stand but then it's like M and A and right. Because like they colored some letters bright yellow and now you can't read them in the sunlight. Um, (laughs) I mean, it's that sort of thing where like there's a minimum accessibility required for anyone to do something successfully. Right. Right. Yeah. That's a cool one that we can, uh, a good one to to think some more about. We can. Yeah. Agreed. To do more, do more in the discord. All right. Um, Next one, fourth one is a memorable moment. So mm-hmm. <clears throat> these are spots, <clears throat> excuse me, in the game where there's cheers or jeers, moans and groans. Um, I, I like to think of this as, like these are the moments that are discussed after the game, even yeah, days or weeks yeah. later. Um, and so obviously this is a category where like party games do well, but it's also a spot where like, you know, take a game like Battlestar Galactica that has a trader mechanic. You know, when you finally figure out <clears throat> if somebody was a Cylon, like, you know, or someone was sabotaging you or whatever, that can be a lot of uh, fun and really kind of drive some uh, excitement for the game. You also have that in, um, even in worker placement games, you know, like a- as you become a, you know, a more experienced player, you know, people are like, oh, I'm really going to block you here and <laughs> really ruin your plan. <laughs> yeah, and people yeah. are like, how dare you? Why yeah. did you block me or whatever? Take the wood. I needed the wood. You knew that and, and whatever. So <laughs> I-, I think memorable moments is like, um, something that can really uh can really make a game shine yep agreed agreed i think that um 
I mean that yeah those those make games um absolutely make games those moments um you know the aha moments right I mean that is yeah yeah that for me is a big thing in a lot of games to have that right I mean I know my wife and I love moments like that in games where we're just like oh come on right and sometimes there are moments like you said you love to hate right because they're they're graphy but they get those jeers so yeah Cool. Uh, next one, uh, we'll just keep this going, is uh, personal achievement. So uh, I think this is a, a really interesting category. So I like to think of this as something to be proud of at the end of the game, even if you didn't uh, win or, 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 mm -hmm. or do that well. So, you know, Tableau builders have this built in, uh, a deck builder, right? You're trying to build some big combo. Same with the bag builder, right? You kind of get that stuff there. Um, an engine builder, obviously, you know, a similar kind of thing. And so, like, I, I look at this as, like, um you know agricola has this right you look down you see your farm um mm -hmm, you know mm -hmm. there's there's lots of games that kind of have this kind of piece where you're like um you know there's kind of something pretty you know calico was a recent game with you know have all the patterns and tiles and hexes and it's like even if you don't score that well like you're kind of proud of your the thing that you're able to build so yep i yep. think that that can be a really um powerful thing you know i think azul does that as well and yeah, Sagrada. Lots of games have this kind of a kind of a thing. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. And I, and I think that that is, it's a nice, a nice, uh, soothing thing for losing, right? Like it's like, hey, I lost, but wow, I made a cool thing while losing. And yeah, I think that that it makes your time feel like worthwhile with something like that. Yeah, for sure. Um, okay, sixth one: emergent complexity. So uh, I think some games do this a lot better than others. Um, so I, I call I think of this as it's easy and satisfying to play right out of the gate, um, even if you don't end up really playing it that well. But um, when you do play it, you kind of quickly see that there's like a lot of ability to kind of master the game through experience and study mm -hmm. and, and repetitions. And so, um, you know, as an example of a game that might do well here, um, I would say like terraforming Mars, right? So like you can play it, you know, you you're able to build certain things and play certain cards or get certain uh, you know cities down on the map. Um, but then as you see more cards and you look at your starting corporations, you really start to see like, oh, like these things work together. You start to right, see the synergies. Right. But like it can still be fun to play even if you um, didn't do that well the first time. But like mm -hmm. there's definitely room to, you know, some people like to. Um, you know, gaining expertise in a game, being good at a game is something that they really enjoy, right? Because most of you play games to feel clever. And so I think this is a category yes. that really pushes that um, and lets you like, oh, like, you know, once you know the cards, you can really kind of like do some really clever things. And I think um, some games, like that's kind of their big uh, big uh, uh, selling point, right? The ability to kind of like really get in and explore all the different uh game trees and decisions you know mm -hmm. games with a tech tree is another one that, that yep, usually yep. do well at this right because there's lots of different choices you can take in the tech tree and like you want to play it again to try a different thing out next time yep yep yeah and any i think any well done deck builder is the same way right it feels like look at this yep. epic turn i can have because i've created this thing i put the time in so yeah agreed totally agree on that um, okay, and the last category, uh, it's a little bit of a catch-all, but I, I think that this is an important thing that we, we need to definitely capture, um, and that's like the game loop. Um, and that's that the thing you do every turn is interesting or fun or different, right? So some games, like, what you do is just kind of like, 
you know, and also ran. That's not the the key selling point. But some mm-hmm. games, like the thing you do is like, especially if it's the first game to kind of do it, it really kind of like uh, pushes like you know what people do. So you know, it's having mechanisms and actions that allow you to plan and feel clever. And so the one thing about this category that's tough um, is a lot of this time it is about uh, interesting or different, right? And so the first game to do something uh-huh. um, scores really, really well uh, in this category. But like later, you know, we might become a little bit jaded. So like you were talking about deck builders, like you might think about something like Dominion and like it's kind of the first one that did deck building in that way with like the market in that. So mm-hmm. like it scored a high, super high in this category because like right, nothing else right. had ever done anything like that. But now like all deck builders do it. And so like, that's no longer a differentiating thing, but when that game came out, it surely, surely was. Right. I, I think that, I, I think that's a good point, but I, I do think, so, so a couple notes on that, in my opinion is one, sometimes the first game to do something scores middling only because it's a new thing and sometimes people struggle yeah. with the new thing and then sometimes people say oh wait, wait wait no i can i can use this more effectively right sure um i don't think dominion is an example of that i think dominion knocked it out of the park with that so i think you know when you're looking at a new deck builder you start to say to yourself okay this is a deck builder but how do i um how do I, how does this game do it differently than Dominion, right? To make it have a twist, right? Um, because yeah, I think that in the, like a, like just games that are just standard deck builders, if it's a Dominion clone, then it should score low because what's the point, right? But if it's, you know, um, I think it's something like, um, you know, uh, well, not published, but Michael Wasbrock's The Clearing, if you've tried that, like um, plug for that, uh, that game uh, has deck building, you know, in it, but it feels different, right? And it does new things. And um, I think because of that, um, yeah, I, I just think that because of that, it, you know, that sort of thing makes it better because it it builds on what we already know, right? And I think that that allows for games to kind of build on a mechanic we all know and then become something better. And I love that about, um, yeah. I love that about games. Yeah, and so another one that I uh, think about when I think about this category is Castles of Burgundy, right? So it's a classic game. Mm-hmm. And, you mm-hmm. know, you're just placing tiles. But the thing about that one, to me, that really makes it stand out is um, the the planning and the cleverness of the combos, right? So, like, if you have, if you get things set up in a certain way, like, um, you can play, uh, I think it's the Cathedral, and that lets you play a city tile for free. And then the city tile may let you play another tile for free. And then mm-hmm. that tile may let you do another tile uh, from the market or whatever. And so like when you, when the game loop lets you really set up these really fun and uh, interesting things and you can kind of really build combos and stuff mm-hmm. like that, like those turns are always um, amazing. Uh, you know, and I think this is slightly different than memorable moments because this is more about you, not about the whole team or the whole table or the whole group. This is like, mm-hmm. you know, you really feel clever when you set up this, this loop and it's, it's, mm-hmm. it's super fun when like you get to combo off your your really really cool thing right and so like you were saying with deck builders it's the same thing like the first time you were able to draw your whole dominion deck you thought you were like the most yeah. cool person in the world yeah, 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 yeah. even if you like at the end you had a million coins in one buy and you're like oh that was kind of silly right <laughs> but it so, felt like, good yeah it felt really cool right so 
Uh, that, that's the game loop. I, I think actually a game that does that really, really well, um, in my opinion, that takes the deck building aspect and really, no pun intended, flips it uh, on its head uh, is is Flip City. Um, which have you played Flip City? No, I haven't. I have so, so it's a deck builder, um, semi like Dominion. It's got a lot of similarities to Dominion, um, with the exception that um, you you you're the orientation of your deck matters, right? The opposite side of cards are better. Uh, like, you know, you can upgrade cards and you gotcha. flip them over. So you have to be careful when you're shuffling and stuff, you know, which is, it's easier set. It's, it's not as complicated as it might sound. Um, but you actually win that game by getting a certain number of victory points on the table at one time. Right. So like think of dominion where you get that, you know, a billion gold in one buy that was cheap and not even what you really want. Right. You know, in this game, you can have it to where you need seven victory points, say, and you get six of them out. And you're like, ah, oh, and then your turn ends. Right. Um, and uh, and that is actually the interesting thing about that game, too, is you you choose how much to draw. Right. Like I draw a card and then I just keep drawing until either I choose to stop or I get stopped by you know, getting bad cards that will that make me lose my turn or that make me end my turn, not lose my turn. Um, and so like, I would score that one super high on game loop for the fact that it takes something that dominion has done well and makes it different and interesting in a whole new way. Um, yeah. and really does give you that cleverness of like, aha, I should be knocked out this round, but I'm not because I can do this and now I can do that. And I set that up well. Right. And, you know, so, um, so yeah, plus for that. Yeah. also just flip city in general, if you like deck builders, it's super good. Uh, highly recommend it. Yeah, that feels a little bit like a press, uh, press your luck mechanic. Uh, yeah, it is. It one hundred percent is. It is a press your and, luck deck builder. Yes. Yeah, and so games with press your luck obviously do well in this piece, right? Because like, there's always yeah, that yeah. like tension, and that's always fun and interesting. Um, mm-hmm, as mm-hmm. you're trying to plan to decide whether to keep going or take the minor uh, goal or or try to go for the big goal. Okay, so let's just recap. Uh, so this is our starting point. We have a category for components and product. Uh, we have one for theme and integration. Mm-hmm. We have one for being approachable and uh, uh, overhead. One for memorable moments. Uh, one for personal achievement, and uh, one for emergent complexity. Uh, and then game loop. So those those are our those are our starting seven. Now let's crap out a real game. I'm, just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> I'm kidding. Let's let's right. We're gonna use a, a real game here. A couple actually. Sure. Is that what you want to do but- now? Uh, yeah. Oh, sorry. Do you want to do something? Do you want to talk about something else first? Um, so actually, you know what? There's one thing I should throw out here real quick that I mentioned before when we were talking was, um, you know, in the interest of like, this is kind of like a research thing, right? Like that's the idea is that it gives you a way to understand, um, what makes a game successful, what makes a game interesting, what makes a game fun and good and all that stuff. Um, recently Eric Lang posted, um, on his, on his Facebook page, like on his personal Facebook page, um, he was, he had, um, of which there's, you know, tons and tons of designers on there that comment. And he had posted, he had asked the question of like, what, tell me a game that you loved, uh, like a mass market game you loved and now you hate, right? I think he called it a core, a core game. Like, you know, so like something that's, it's important to the hobby, um, and now you hate it and then tell me why. And, uh, and it was interesting because, you know, at first some people I think were like, Oh, you're just, you know, why are we being negative about these games? And, 
and and he was explaining that like this is kind of like this is research right like what makes a game fall from your good graces um to become something you don't like whether it's overplay or exposure to new games um and then the next day or a day or two later after there was a good conversation to discourse about that he then flipped it and said tell me a game you hated and now that you love right um and and two examples that came to my mind so like he's doing the he's doing kind of the same type of research we're doing we're just you're, you're breaking it down into a in, into these specific categories and he's just kind of asking the question of like trying to solve the thing of what makes you what makes a game not be fun anymore and what makes a game become fun anymore you know become more fun and like i i struggled with the question for myself like i have an example for both but i don't know why like so my game that was that i thought of that was like a super successful game that i thought was amazing when i first played it and now i don't want to play it probably ever again is camel up um and i i don't know why i just know that the game got less fun every time i played it like literally every time i played it i enjoyed it less than the previous time to the point where i said i don't want to play this anymore um have you have you played camel up no no so it's like it's just you know it's a it's a game where you're dealing with um uh where you're you're betting on these camels and it's it's got like when I look at it, it, the components are amazing. The theme integration to me feels pretty tight. It's really approachable. You can learn it super fast. It has so many memorable moments. Um, personal achievement, very much lacking. Emergent complexity, um, yeah, yeah, no, it doesn't have that, which I, I think is, I, I think is yeah, a problem. That's a problem. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, and. You can feel, and the game loop, honestly, you can feel clever, but a lot of it is luck, right? Yeah. Um, so, and so I think yeah. actually using this rubric, I just explained to myself why <laughs> I don't like yeah. it. I think the thing is like, yeah, so there might be too much variance, it sounds like. And um, I think one problem with with wagering games in general is like when the wagering is kind of new, um, like it's kind of an interesting thing to think about. But like mm -hmm. you get to a certain point where like you figure it out kind of like how you should be wagering and then you're just kind of letting right. it run. And so like, yeah, once you've kind of get to that point, it doesn't have enough depth. And then it's just like, it just feels the same. Right. right. So either yeah. you're playing it like as a, a beer and pretzels game with people who are new and like, you can enjoy them enjoying it, but like you get to a point where like, there's just not enough left for you to kind of override the fact that like it feels too much the same every time. Yeah. And I know for like the ability to master it, like I know what the smart wagers are. I generally can look at something and say, you know what? I think this is probably the smart guess to make right now. And then there's so much randomness that that like, because so the camels are moving when you roll the dice, but if a camel happens to land on another camel and then the camel underneath it moves, it moves the other, the camel on top of it with it. Right. So literally somebody can be in last place and then like make its move land on something in second to last place and end its turn in first place. And you're like, what just happened? Like, and it could have been so far behind, but because of a random chain of events, now that camel is in first place. Um, and so like it, it reminds me of when a, 
when you play poker, right? And you see somebody make a super dumb bet and then yeah. win based on just a lucky turn of the cards, right? And they're like, I'm so good at poker. I'm like, no, you got really lucky. You made a super stupid yeah. decision and you got lucky. And now you're going to continue making those bad decisions because, because you got lucky. And eventually that will screw you over in poker. Uh, not so much in camel up. <laughs> like it may or may yeah. not. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I mean, think about this rubric. I, I, the thing that I think uh, I'm just thinking out loud about here is that like, it seems it sounds like to to me you're saying it does pretty well in memorable moments. But like the one thing that that I think this brings out is that like memorable memorable moments for a game has diminishing returns. That's right? like yes, that's what I was gonna say. Yes. So like over time, like those mem- moments become less and less memorable, right? And right. So right. It's you know certain games will be able to always kind of do well there, and other games like <clears throat> it, the memorableness like fades with with play. So. That's an interesting well, thing to keep up, keep uh, in mind when you're designing a game. Yes. If you are um, leaning heavily on that category as like the the thing that really makes the game sing, is that right. like that you know you do a random play test at an unpub or a protospiel, and like people love it, and it's like yeah, but when you played it ten times, is it still yeah. the same memorable? Right. right. And that is like the number one negative thing i've heard about people who have gone from loving cards against humanity to hating it right or any really of those like cards on you know text games is that in the beginning like i think in cards against humanity like it's the shock value right yep so many awful things are there and it shocks you and you're like oh Uh, to date i've still never played cards against humanity um because i don't really care for apples to apples uh and i don't really care for shock value um so it just was a bad combo for me um, but, but most people, I know Rob uh, from the show, like he loved cards against humanity when it first came out and now he despises it, um, for a lot of reasons, but one of them being that, um, it just wasn't funny anymore. Right. It just, it stopped being funny and that game 100% weighs on memorable moments. That's it. Like that is, that is, you know, where it scores 10, uh, but then it starts to go down as you play more. So, um, yep. yeah, that's that's a really good point. I, I thought of that. I feel like at the same time you did like, oh, <laughs> light bulb, that's it. <laughs> um, so, yeah. Cool. So, I so just you, wanna... said, you, you said that was a game that you uh, you liked at first, but now uh, has kind of fallen off. Was there one that you said uh, you didn't hate, you hated and now you kind of love? So, so yeah, so this is more of, this is, this is less of a one game thing. This is more of a franchise of games that I just want to throw out there. Um, and I feel like it fits into your rubric really well. So I have always hated Monopoly. Chris Michaud, I'm sorry. Um, but I've always hated Monopoly. It's not that it's a bad game. It's that, first of all, it's that growing up, admittedly, we were 100% playing Monopoly incorrectly, right? Um, but like, if I think of standard monopoly and run down this list component and stuff like that, they're basic, right? I mean, they're very basic theme and integration. Yeah. I'll give you that the theme probably is integrated decently, but I don't, it's not like mind blowing. Right. Um, if you play the rules correctly, it's very approachable and it has low overhead. I think, you know, uh, for monopoly, it certainly has lots of memorable moments. Um, Personal achievement, if you lose, I think is awful because you generally like 
everything you've achieved has been destroyed. Hence the fact (laughs) that you're losing. Right. Um, I think you can learn how to play it well. Right. And it can be like, you certainly can be better or worse at monopoly. Absolutely. But there is obviously a lot of luck involved. Right. Um, and the game loop, I don't know that it really allows you to feel clever. So, so I've always hated monopoly for that reason. I still general standard monopoly. I don't care for it. Right. Um, we, we don't own any regular copies of monopoly. I never, we, my kids, I don't know that they've ever played regular monopoly, but here's what I have grown to love. The creators of monopoly have been really taking risks and interesting turns with new, like, uh, licensed and stuff versions of Monopoly. You know, the Animal Crossing Monopoly is fantastic. It is Monopoly at its core, but it's it, it checks a lot more of these boxes, I feel like, than the original um, did. Um, there's like Monopoly Builder where you're like making these skyscrapers and stuff. So I have found myself very enamored by the new versions simply because they're doing it differently. Right. And, and I think for a lot of them that, you know, like thinking of like the, um, if I go down the list for the animal crossing one, the components and product are certainly better than they used to be. Right. Um, the theme and integration, it feels like you're playing animal crossing, which is cool. Uh, it's quite approachable. It's got some memorable moments. I, I think less than normal monopoly because they've kind of tamed it a little bit. In the end, you do feel like you've built things because you don't lose the things you've built. Um, I I still think it scores low in the last two because of all the randomness. Um, but but yeah, it it's so I respect that difference, right? That that it's changed over the years um, to make it something new. And I recognize it's not the same game, but it is the same game system, right? right. So it's almost like making a new deck builder that's standing on the shoulders of dominion. They're standing on the shoulders of the original version of monopoly and making it not, not fun. They're making it somewhat fun. Yeah. Well, it's almost like a, a and, and so I, I'll, I'll twist this slightly and say, like, it sounds a little bit like what you see in some games where like there's a game comes out and like, you know, it's not very balanced or there's a little bit too much variance or something like that. And then they add an expansion and it adds mm-hmm. like a new rule and some, like some new pieces mm-hmm. And it's like, oh, this is what the game should have been all along, right? So it's like combined, even mm-hmm. though it's based on the same thing, it's different enough. Um, and like you said, it's doing better in, in some of these categories. What doesn't have the the glaring problems that the original does, right? Like, right, right. Frequently hear on board game podcasts about people who like, they're like, I will never play Terraforming Mars without Prelude. Like I've heard countless people say that, right? Like they just literally won't do it. And so for them that whoever those people are, like they think that that is like what the original should have been. So I I feel like that's kind of like what I'm getting a vibe from you of is like, yeah, this game was so old and and designed so long ago, but like now they're kind of like essentially making expansions. Like they might not be compatible, but like it's an expansion version where like this fixes some of the core problems and and gives you a lot more, uh, a better game experience. Yeah, and when we do these specific ratings here uh, on two games, uh, one that you've got brought and one that I've brought, I have a specific version of the game that I think is is scores slightly differently, uh, better and worse, uh, depending on the categories. So, so yeah, if it's cool with you, let's let's do that. Like let's uh, 
Let's talk about a couple games here. I'll let you go sure. first. Okay. Um, do you want me to just give you my scores here, or are you going to weigh in too? I'm just checking. Um, I'll. You're going to do yours. Well, I'll pop in with yours just to say whether I agree or you know I'll give if if I have a big differing opinion I'll throw it out there. Yeah. So. Okay. But looking through these, I I pretty much annoyed. I mean annoyed. <laughs> I pretty much agreed. Uh, with, uh, I read the word monopoly in your thing as I was saying that, uh, and then I was annoyed. Um, but no, <laughs> I pretty much agreed, uh, with, with your ratings on things. So, yeah. Yeah. All right, cool. So, uh, the first one that, that I'm going to go through here, uh, and it's a game that most people in the hobby have played, uh, countless times and, and that's Settlers of Catan. Okay. So we're just going to go through mm -hmm. these seven yep. categories and, and see what we got. So for components and product, uh, I gave it a six out of 10. Uh, I think the modular board is pretty cool. Uh, that was pretty new at the time, and it's good quality. Um, I think we have nice quality wooden pieces for the roads and the settlers and the cities and, and those pieces, mm -hmm. um, you know, especially for the time, right? This came out. Oh, yeah, yeah. 25, 30 years ago, whatever it is. Right. Um, so it does pretty well here. I mean, I, I think that's not the the thing that, that uh, slays, but I think it's uh, an area that it does really well in. Yeah, yeah. Uh, theme and theme and integration. Uh, I give it a four out of ten. The, the theme is kind of generic. I mean, there's a little mm -hmm. tie into the collecting of stuff to build and roads between towns is is kind of them thematic. But like, I, I've always felt that this could could easily be like you know farming or, or any other kind of thing. It's 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 not superly. I don't feel like when you make your decisions on your turn that you feel like you're a really a settler. Um, right. Say. So yeah. I agree with you on the fact that the 100% most thematic thing is building the roads and longest road. Like it's like that yeah. is the theme right there that where it stands out. Everything else is, you know, is not that exciting about the theme uh, integration. Uh, so approachable and overhead. So uh, in this category, I gave it nine out of 10. I think it really, really mm -hmm. uh, does well here. And so um, I think part of the thing is, especially for its time, um, if you look at the parallels, and I've heard this discussed many times other places as well, like if you look at the parallels between Settlers and Monopoly, um, a game that pretty much everybody in the, in the, the civilized world has played, uh, you right, see a right, lot right. of similarity. So yeah. like, what do you do? You roll two dice and you sum them up. Mm -hmm. You get a number, right? In, uh, in Settlers, you're building houses. And, you know, in, in Monopoly, you're building the, the hotels and motels and that kind of stuff, right? Um, there's the trading aspect that you have of like, you're trying to get wood uh, for sheep and then like in, in monopoly you're getting uh you know you're trading the purples for the light blues or, or whatever you're, mm -hmm. you're doing these different deals and i think that like part of the thing we talked about in the rubric ahead of, uh above uh, previously was familiarity and i think that this is an area where settlers um would have had a harder time if it wasn't so similar to monopoly right like that's all really you do in your point. turn you roll the dice, you build houses, and you trade cards. Like that's like a lot of what Monopoly is, right? So I think it just really kills it in this category. I think that um, it's probably one of its uh, strongest things. It's so easy for people to get into because like everything's on a shared board. It's all in front of you. There's very little hidden information, right? It's just a couple cards, um, but it's so similar and feels so familiar that I think it really, mm -hmm. really wins the day here. I'm going to be honest, though, and say that I'm super embarrassed about the fact that literally until this moment, I never considered the fact that those games are so much like I never even yeah. occurred to me. But like, I feel super dumb because that is it seems completely obvious. But 
Twas not obvious to me, <laughs> apparently. Well, I think it's one of those things where like um that that's kind of the point of this whole exercise is like right, thinking about true. it and yeah. being deliberate about it. It's like it's so familiar that you don't think it's familiar, right? Like it's like it's it scores so highly there that like it's not of note because it's like, well, obviously that obviously you roll two dice and sum them up and build a house and trade cards. Like <laughs> Right, right. Yeah, that's true. That is true. Good point. Um, um I, I, the one I actually slightly disagree and literally for approachable and overhead, I would give it a 10. I'd give it an 11 if you could only because I mean, it's widely considered to be one of the biggest gateway games ever made. If not the biggest yeah. gateway game ever made, which speaks very highly to that. So, yeah. So I actually think that I would, I would rate it even higher than a nine. I think if any game gets a 10, it's that one. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, I think that's interesting. I think the only reason I um, don't give it a 10 is that if perchance you grew up in a house where you didn't play Monopoly, that's fair. you don't have that, you don't have that reference. So um, that's fair. That's fair. For, for most people, obviously it's a 10. I, I was just giving it a slight nick there just because um, if you don't have that familiarity, it might be a little bit harder to. And I, I don't disagree with you. So, yeah. Yeah, and and the thing is, like, this is a fun exercise, and hope people people can kind of do it themselves. Like, you know, mm-hmm. these are just our opinions, and see what you agree or disagree with. All right, let's keep going. The number four is memorable moments. <clears throat> so I gave it a five out of ten here. Um, I think there's some stuff like you know, moving the robber can create some like uh, groans and jeers and that kind of stuff. Uh, stealing the longest road from people. Um, some of the surprise, <clears throat> excuse me, card reveals at the end, like if you had extra victory points and stuff like that, there is a little bit of that. Um, mm-hmm. There's a little bit of people being annoyed when people trade, but like, I, I don't think that that's like the driving force of, uh, of its uh, right. popularity, right. but there's, there's some there. There's some there for sure. Yeah. I think the uh, biggest thing I, I would give it there real quick is just that like the trading to me has always been somewhat problematic only because People can very easily, when you're winning, just say, I'm not going to trade with you, right? Like, yeah. I mean, and that's kind of, I mean, that's kind of what you do. Like, no hard feelings about that, but it does, it does, well, actually, I won't say anymore because I, I, I you address this coming up here, so <laughs> I won't say yeah. anything else. Okay, yeah, so, I mean, it, it definitely suffers from uh, king building a little bit. All right, right. number, let's go to the fifth category, personal achievement. So uh-huh. I gave it a seven, seven out of ten here. Um because I think when you look down, whether you won or lost, um, you look at your cities and your roads. Yeah, it looks like you're actually trying to like build up a thing, and, and you have your whole, you know, your armies and everything like that. And so, you know, it feels a little bit like you did build something. And so, mm-hmm. um, and, and this was like one of the, you know, outside of like a war game or something like that, which like you you bring up the other point for the other game where it's more about Animal Crossing, like you don't get the destruction, right? That like you get from Monopoly, right. like that you built up right. and like you have an ebb and a flow here. You just have the, mm-hmm. the ebb, right? And so like, you're not the ebb. You just have like, you're building up. And so like at the end yep. of the game, even yep. if you lost, you say like, oh, I just, if I could have just got this road to go left, I could have done whatever. Right, right. Um, right. If I had the, if you hadn't beat me to it or whatever. And so I think that that's pretty, pretty well there. Uh, emerging yeah, and complexity. It's a game, and it's oh, a game ahead. you can, so, sorry, I was just saying it's a game where, like you can see how close you were to winning. At yeah, the end, yeah. And I yeah, like sure. that. Yeah. Yep. Uh, emergent complexity. I gave it a three. Um, you know, you, you can prove a little bit and 
And I haven't played a lot of the uh, uh, expansions and stuff like that, so I'm just talking about the base game here. Um, you know, you can improve a little bit. Some locations are better for for uh, settlement and things like that. But you can also just have bad die rolls, and you can also like be doing okay, and then like everyone just starts robbing you and not trading with you. So king making is a huge problem. You can get totally mm-hmm. locked out. So like, it doesn't matter how good of a player you are if everyone's just kind of piling on. So uh, I give it a three out of ten for this this one. Yep. And as to back this one up, I mean, I've, I used to play Settlers of Catan every single Friday night, at least once, sometimes twice with a group of friends we had. And this is something I used to talk about on the show a lot. And, um, and one time I played with different friends and this one friend was like, he understood the game, but thought it would be funny to just take the super crappy spots, like the known crappy spots that are like, you know, the twos and the twelves, the things that in general are not the right things to take if you would like to not lose the game, right? And he won by a landslide because twos and twos and threes and and twelves came up a ton. Because that can happen, right? That's the, you know, yep. that's the rolling of it. And that really changed my feeling after that because it was really like it was the first time I'd experienced with that game, like, oh wow you can be purposely awful and still win uh, if the die rolls go in your favor. Um, and I, I mean, I, I think, of course, I knew that could happen, but that was the first time I actually saw it in action. And I was like, oh, ooh, not good. So, so yeah. Yeah, cool. Uh, and game loop. Uh, I gave it a 7 out of 10 here. Mm-hmm. Um, I think the thing that, uh, there's a couple things that, that, that were good at the time, uh, uniqueness. So it's, it's simple and quick, right? We, we, we talk back to Monopoly, like you roll, you trade, you build. Like it's real quick. It's real, real uh, simple. Uh, the trading, you're right. You're trading to set up your builds, right? So you can plan. You can try to feel clever. I think mm-hmm. one of the other things that this is <clears throat> one of the first games where um, that got really popular where, uh, I'm not saying they invented it, but like where on when it's not your turn, mm-hmm. you still are involved, right? So there's less right. of that downtime. Like you take your turn of Monopoly and then you got to wait 20 minutes so everybody else gets yep. all their stuff done. And so um, everyone's kind of a little bit more involved and like they're collecting stuff, which may affect what they'll trade and that kind of stuff because of the cards they want to build. So I think that like, you know, that really helps the game loop um, and it keeps it kind of Agreed. Move, moving along a little bit. And again, a lot of that does harken back to some of the things in Monopoly, right? Like in Monopoly... If someone lands on you, you're collecting money, even when it's not your turn. But like, so you're a little bit more engaged than some some other games where you're just like sitting there waiting to go. So, yes, um, yeah, totally agree. So just just to recap, uh, we're given um, Settlers Catan six out of ten in, in components and product, four out of ten in theme and integration, nine out of ten in approachable and overhead, uh, five out of ten in memorable moments, personal achievement, seven out of ten, emerging complexities, not very good at three out of ten. And the game loop's pretty uh, simple and interesting at 7 out of 10. But I think the things that really, you know, if we look at the high scores, approachable, personal achievement, and game loop, I think when we look at those, we see that that, like, has a compelling experience when you combine those mm-hmm. three together. And the fact that it gets a, a 3 or 4 and some other ones just, you know, doesn't really matter. As long as you can really score well in, in two or three categories, you can have a solid game. Agreed. Totally agreed. So yeah, I would love to talk about a game real quick if that's cool. Um, yeah. So so for mine, I did Splendor, uh, which is listeners of the show know is one of my favorite games. Um, and of late, I've really enjoyed Marvel Splendor, which is a licensed version of Splendor. 
uh, that I would argue, and uh, so would Board Game Geek, that is actually the better version of Splendor because it fixes some issues with Splendor. Uh, so I'm going to, anytime, there's there's two ratings where I feel like uh, it, they're different. So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to just be rating both of them together, but for, I'm going to be kind of rating base Splendor, and then if there's a difference, I'll just mention it uh, and why I think that is. Um, so... Uh, so for Splendor for components, I would give it an eight out of 10, um, simply because the, um, especially when they came out, I feel like it was one of the first games to have those amazing, um, gems, uh, the, well, the, um, little tokens, they're like poker chips essentially, but they are clay. They are heavy. They feel really good in your hand when you're shuffling them and moving them around. Um, the rest of the game is cards. They're good quality, but they're not anything, you know, amazing. The artwork is fine. Um, but wow, those, those poker chips are really satisfying in your hand, um, when you're playing, um, then for theme and integration, uh, I would give regular old splendor a three <laughs> because, uh, there's really, the theme is, is kind of pointless. Um, you could be doing anything with those gems. Um, and, uh, like, are those tokens? They could be literally anything. Um, but they're gems and um, and that honestly, the fact that they're gems doesn't really fit with the fact that they're really nice poker chips. There are plenty of other things that would probably be better. Um, now, that said, with the Marvel version, I would actually give it a six simply because the way the rules work um, with the the gems and that are Infinity Stones and the way that you have to acquire them is actually different um and make sense based on the theme um so that i feel like really does kind of bring the theme in um the way that you score for um you know in regular splendor you can get the um the nobles and in this version uh you get the you get you basically get the um the big things that you need i can't remember what they are in that but i know that one of them is the avengers team and that uh who the person who wins the avengers team is whoever has the most avengers in their cards that they're gathering to create their engine. Um, and that feels, um, and that can go back and forth during the game. And that feels really cool uh, because it matches with the theme very well. Um, and then for um, approach and uh, approachability, I'd give it a seven out of 10 for both of them. I think they're, you can learn it pretty fast. Um, I've been able to teach, you know, pretty much anyone who's been interested my mom i taught to play the game and she's not used to theme heavy games or or hobby games she plays more like classic games and she learned it and won the first game from not from just luck like she was playing it well um next for memorable moments i i think that for splendor i would give like regular splendor i would give it a five out of ten for memorable moments same as Catan. um most of the memorable moments in splendor are crappy um, <laughs> because somebody blocked you or a card comes up, um, that, you know, the other person has been trying to get, and then you can get it. So most of the, of the moments that are memorable in that are, are the, the, the crappy moments. Um, I actually would give, um, I would actually give a, um, a four out of 10, uh, for it, for the Marvel version, because there are less of those. Um, which is actually in this case, a good thing since they're crappy, <laughs> but, uh, there are less of those because the, the paths to victory are different. Uh, therefore, um, there's less of chance of getting screwed over and blocked. Um, 
for um, personal achievements, uh, also a seven out of 10 for both. It feels really good when you've built your engine and you can see all the teams you've got built and the different ways that that works. That feels really cool. Um, and then um, for emergent complexity, you can improve your skills um, as you play um, 100%. Um, I, I think I think that'd be a six. That feels really, really solid. Um, and uh, that's the same for both. Just because, you know, you really do get better at the game as you play it. Um, and then finally, I think I would give uh, a seven to game loop. It is simple and quick. You don't do anything during your opponent's turn, but turns are so fast that it doesn't really matter. Yeah. Half yep. the time, like when my wife and I play, because we played so many times, um, you are still organizing what you just purchased and your chips um, before they are done with their, like, and then they're like, it's your turn again. <laughs> and then you were going. So it, it feels very, very quick. So, yeah. Um, so those, I, I maybe rated a little more liberally than you might have. Um, I tend to rate things higher rather than lower. Um, but I feel like overall that's like, do you have any thoughts on that? Having played Splendor? Yeah, I, I agree with, uh, with, with most of yours. I mean, I, I think, uh, to, to me, the spots where Splendor really uh, does well is, uh, the components, um, mm -hmm. the personal achievement. Uh, I think the game loop. Um, is is an area where it definitely shines um, because it's like you know for a, a kind of gateway style game family friendly game like you, you want that to kind of be, be quick especially with younger players and not mm -hmm. be sitting there there's no analysis paralysis in the game right no no um the, the one thing that I, I think that's a kind of a gotcha for people um and i'm reminded by this uh there's a anecdote i'll share too is that um i think a lot of people would be tempted to give splendor like a, a nine or ten for approachability and overhead and um I, I think you gave it a six or a seven i think would you uh, give seven it? yeah yeah seven yeah i might even go six and and the reason is like That's it fair. sounds it sounds like it's like well it's not that hard but like i i've had um i think we have to also take in consideration what game it is right so um what level of style game it is I, i've had i've lent this to to non-gamers and like for someone who's who's fairly experienced, like it doesn't seem that hard, but I've never everyone who I've kind of shared it with and gave the game to them to go play themselves, they've mm -hmm. come back and they've played it completely wrong, right? Like, oh wow, the because there's there's some rules that, and I think this is where the theme and integration don't help. So like the whole rule around like you can take two different gems, um, but if you take the same, you can only do that if there's more than X, like right all those kind yeah. of rules like they're mm -hmm. just extra silly rules that like no one remembers or thinks about and that's a great point um the whole discount thing for like as you like i'm, I'm talking based under here like as you build your quote mines or whatever you get a discount of other reds like if you're not used to like more hobby games that like that's not a concept that's easy to understand that discounting part yeah and that's like fair. They, frequent, they frequently play that part wrong so um and I, I think it's a thing too that we get a little bit jaded, right? Because we're designing games that are heavier and things like that, and playing heavy games, right? Like mm -hmm. there, um, I, I think you probably saw it, right? The the there was a video on Twitter of Mandy Patinkin um, and uh, some other people playing Wingspan, and like you know we don't think of Wingspan as some like heavy four point five weight game, it, you know, mm -hmm. it's pretty, pretty approachable, and like they're reading the rules and like they don't know what words like orthogonal mean. And like, like for them, it's like all gibberish. And I think that that like, we have to kind of keep that in mind, right? Like approachable right, and overhead yeah. have to do with 
expectation a little bit. Um, That's a so, good point. Um, you know, games are always slightly more complicated than to, you know, uh, to other people than we might think they are. So uh, anyway, but yeah, I, I generally agree with your, your stuff where you have it slotted, you know, it's not about being perfectly, but I think there, there's definitely like components of scores, you know, the highest, and that's the thing that really drew people to it. Mm-hmm. And I, I think that these other pieces uh, that you, that you mentioned really help it, uh, help to get uh, as popular as it did. Yeah. And, and it's funny because, so I am historically bad with reading rules and, and learning to play games. I dislike it. I'm not good at it. I don't like it. Um, and thinking back after you pointed that out, I was like, gosh, but I didn't have trouble with it. I was taught to play this game, played it multiple times. Um, and then after that, I um, uh, taught people how to play it. I didn't tell them to read the rules and play it. So honestly, you're, you're correct with that. I very well may have missed it. And it took a lot of plays before my wife and I really paid attention to the rule of, um, to the rule of like, you can't take a thing. If there's not, if there's not enough, you can't do this thing. Like it took us a while to get used to that. Um, so that's another very, very solid point that that is not as intuitive as I think. It's simply because I've played it 8 million times and now it's just like obvious to me. Yeah. So, so yeah. Yeah. I see it. I see a similar thing when people play Azul, like the whole rule of like, when you take blue tiles, for example, um, which also has great components, um, like they can only put them in one of the rows and not mix and match rows. Like a lot of people just put them anywhere, right? They know that you can't have blues and reds in the same row on the side, like in the mm-hmm. one, two, three, four, five slots. But like, to them, it makes sense to just say they're blues, put them wherever you want, just like not mix colors. Right. And so right, like these right. extra rules that don't have good theme integration, I think that's right. where it can increase the overhead because it doesn't feel like you're doing the thing that you're doing. And so the mm-hmm. rule feels like just this random thing that's hard to remember. Yes. That that's super solid point. Yeah. Um, yeah. And this is, we, we had a good conversation about this in the, um, about the dis- the theme dissonance and theme consonants with um yep. yeah with Clarence and uh, Raven so awesome awesome all right did you did you want we're over time here but it doesn't matter i mean did, did you want to to pitch a game um do you want to talk about a game do you not want to talk about a game it is up to you um yeah, I can talk about the thing that I'm working on. I'll, I'll make it uh, short and sweet. <laughs> sure. No, that's great. I would love to hear about it. I always would rather do a pitch, but I also recognize that we're a bit long with a good conversation here, and there's nothing wrong with that. So, yeah, let's hear it. Um, so, yeah, I've been talking about this on our uh, Discord weekly calls, which people should sign up and come join us. Uh, mm-hmm. well, the, the more, the merrier. Um, oh, so. Great. Uh, a long time ago, I discovered this thing called Einstein's Riddle. So that's this this mm-hmm. r- riddle of like uh, five people live on a street. They have different uh, pets, cats, types of houses, and they smoke cigars or whatever. And uh, it's a logic puzzle. And Einstein at the time said that uh, only two percent of the population would be able to solve it because it implies it requires some inference um, and to kind of get the logic to work. So I've always liked this puzzle, and I've been trying for years to make a game. Uh, about it. Uh, I tried different things, uh, including some trader mechanics, different things, and and nothing really worked. So I finally have something now that I've been working on, which um, I don't really have a great name for it, but I'm currently calling it Murder in Hexville. Um, And so basically, it's (laughs) kind of a combination between um, 
uh, a little bit like a Sudoku puzzle in terms of the logic and uh, this Einstein's riddle. But the theme is more of a cold case, right? So a little bit more Sherlock Holmes in terms of theme. And so it's played on this hex grid. Uh, it's a, basically a, a, a four loop hex grid uh, of tiles. Mm -hmm. And um, the way the game works is um, you're given some, some data, right, from a cold case. And you have some statements from witnesses. And um, you have information about what's on their street, right? So there might be uh, some buskers or some uh, fire trucks or some pets, you know, or whatever that live on a certain street, a newsstand, shine stand, hot dog cart, whatever. And what you have to do in the first phase of the game is there's 18 people that live in this hex town um, and you have to figure out where they lived, right? And so like, you can't ask them, this is in the past. And um, so you have to use uh, logical deduction and some of this kind of like Einstein riddle thinking to solve that part. And so um, you kind of do that. There's 18 clues, one for each person, and there's like a base clue and a secondary clue. If you, and basically the points you get are for the secondary clues you don't reveal. So every time you reveal the like more specific clue, you kind of lose a point or don't gain a point, right? And so it's try to see how many you can not, they're like hints, think of it that way, right? So yeah. the, the less yeah, yeah, hints yeah. you get, the higher score you get. So the first part is figuring out where the 18 people live. And so you put that kind of on your map, on your, on your sheet. The second part is um, now that you know where everyone lives, you have witness statements from all 18 people. And the witness, mm -hmm. state, witness statements are basically where they were when the murder happened. And so they may have been close enough to hear the screams. They may have been a little bit further away, but they heard the gunshot. Or they may have been further away, and all they heard, all they saw was like they saw somebody running, you know, down the street or something like that. And so again, there's another logic puzzle that you have to use. Um, and the thing with the witness statement is you have a witness statement from all 18 people, but one of them is lying. So their statement is completely wrong. And so you have to figure out Interesting. logic, but one of them is not true. And um, you have to, again, use, use the same logic puzzle and like try to find uh, an inconsistency. And then obviously that's the murder. And so uh, you have their 18 statements. And then there's another piece of tech you can get. And that's, there's 12 streets in this hex town. And you can uh, do a... Uh, technology request um, for the phone records from the phone company. And basically it'll tell you how many people were on a certain street at the time of the murder, oh. but that's all they have. So they don't know who it was. They just know that there was three people in the street or nobody on this street uh, at the time of the murder. And so you have a limited number of those that you can use as well as the witness statements um, to kind of figure out what it is. And the witness statements kind of are the same as the, the, the initial clues and in that they have a hint mode. So you, if you if you get the hint of where that person was on this map, um, mm -hmm. then you you don't get that point, right? And so it's kind of like right. the most the higher the points you get, the better. Um, and then you know you just try to figure it out. So uh, that that's the the gist. I have a, a generator program that generates can generate infinite puzzles, and uh, I'm gonna oh, start wow. testing it. Uh, testing it with people now. I had to write software to do this. This is not something you can do by hand. <laughs> um, but yeah, yeah, I'm going to start testing it. If this sounds cool, hit me up on Twitter or the Discord, and uh, I'm going to be reaching out to people to uh, start playing it and getting some, uh, some feedback from people. I have a lot of levers I can adjust on how good or hard the hints are. Um, so oh, nice, can nice. definitely, I definitely adjust it. The whole point is it's always should be able to figure it out. It's just kind of like how many hints you have to use is kind of how well you do. So mm -hmm. yeah, I, um, that's it. Uh, I, as I mentioned in the discord, like I would love, love, love to try this. This is right up my alley for something that sounds 
super fun to figure out. Um, I had never heard of Einstein's riddle before. Like I I've seen like apps and stuff that have like very simple grids where it's like, it's, it's essentially it's Einstein's riddle, but some they're generally easier. They have less things to fill yeah. in and, and better clues. Um, but like I, I was able to solve it. I, I made a spreadsheet to do it and it took me a couple tries where I'd be like, Nope, Nope. I made some wrong inference here and I'd back up and keep going. Um, but it was really, it was, it was really, uh, it felt good. It felt like a personal achievement. <laughs> <laughs> nine out of ten to uh solve it in the end You're like oh yeah this is super fun and cool um and then afterwards i was able to google and be like what's the answer and i was like oh, i got it right i was like i really hope i'm not wrong because if it's wrong <laughs> then i have no way to go back and um yeah yeah, yeah. Uh, you know so uh, i'm very excited to try this i think this is a cool idea when you said though that one of the pieces of information is wrong all i can imagine because you said you know like sudoku was like a Sudoku puzzle, but like one of the numbers is just wrong. Like they gave you a number to start with and it's wrong and trying to figure out what that is. That sounds rough. So I I'm really interested in trying this. Yeah. So the, the key thing is like, you do have lots of other information in phase two, right? right 17 right, of them right. are completely accurate. And so like, and, and you have the, you can give the data cell phone data requests. So like you can kind of figure it out. It's just a question of how many hints you have to use to get there. Right, right. Do you think the game should be solvable with zero hints? No. No. Okay. 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 I didn't know. I mean, like... well, not for our human. I mean, I think you could you could probably write a solver that would consider all the possibilities and like be able to back into it. But like for a human, a normal human, I don't think so. That's not the intent. Right. Right. The intent right. is to see how few of them you can use. Right. Right. All right. Well. Um. Yeah, no, that game sounds really fun, and uh, and definitely hit Roscoe up uh, on Twitter at Roscoe Shock if you're interested in checking that out. Well, uh, thank you for coming, Roscoe. This was a super fun conversation, and uh, I'm excited to continue it in our Discord. Yeah, awesome. Thanks for having me on. It was a lot of fun. Yes, awesome as always. So, hey, listeners, I hope you enjoyed the conversation. If you're not in our Discord, come check it out. We'll get a channel out there. Hopefully, right about the time this is published, I'll put the channel out there and copy all the data into it to get it going. Um, and, uh, yeah, uh, if you want to get in touch with us, you can go to building That's where you can find the link to that discord. You can email us at building at gmail.com. You can find us on the Twitter at podcast at J a Slingerland at Roscoe shock. And of course you can keep coming back every single week, but until next time, good night. Good night. Building the game, building the game with Jason and friends, with Jason and friends, building the game. Building the game with Jason and friends, with Jason and friends. The end of the episode, that's when it technically ends.